welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am your host for this week's A Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you very much to both of them. Now, if you mates miss the show at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify or Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Today, though, I would like to introduce you to Navjeet Gurav, who is doing a PhD in Rehabilitation Science under the supervision of Drs. Heather Aldersley and Beta Batarowicz. Welcome to Grad Chat, Navjeet. Thank you so much, Colin. Well, I am really excited to have Navjeet on the show as his research really pulls at the heartstrings. Well, it did for me anyway. I know that as when he... And I kind of know that because he recently presented a course in our three-minute thesis competition and started off with the story behind his work, which is really, really awesome. And you're going to hear a little bit more about that shortly. Now, his research topic is community schools in India, design considerations to improve inclusion for children with physical disabilities. But I want to talk to you first, Navjeet, about your experience doing the three-minute thesis, because it can be quite life-changing for some of our students. So with that, what motivated you to actually participate in the competition? So uh, it takes me back to 2019 when I first heard about three-minute thesis. I had no idea as in how people with such a long PhD thesis can do it within three minutes of a time. Yes. So since then, I, I have attended almost all the 3MD sessions in 2019 and 20 to just check how people are doing it, how they're using it and their time within three minutes to present everything. And biggest part was how they give the key message to the people about their research within three minute time. And it also was a great learning for me. And I so wanted to attend that. And from then only, I had this, uh, as in willingness to be part of the three minute thesis in any way I could. So when I got the chance, I thought, okay, this is the time I said, go ahead and give it a try. Now, just to let everyone know, Navjit was actually a runner-up this year, so he clearly put a lot of work into it, and it was very exciting to hear how he actually improved each time he did his presentation. So how important do you think doing a three-minute thesis is for a researcher in general? I believe it's very important because generally for researchers, we do write a lot of stuff in PhD because it's majorly about writing, writing, writing. But communication is just not about writing, but also how you verbally communicate with people and how you choose your words very wisely. Because many a time, let's say, uh, you go to conferences, you meet someone uh, who is very high profile and you want to tell them about your research. You won't be giving them the articles to read. It's just maybe a minute or half a minute or two minute time or let's say maximum three minute time for you to convey the key message for your research Mm -hmm. so that people can know about the research, they can learn about your research and they could be, let's see, a potential collaborator or maybe the employer for you. So it gives you a great opportunity in terms of that as well. And definitely in terms of research communication, it is an added skill. So I believe it's very important for a researcher. 
Well, I'm glad you said that because we push it a lot, don't we? <laughs> For you all to learn how to do this. You know, it's an extended elevator pitch, as we say. <laughs> so, so what challenges did you face while preparing your three-minute thesis? Because you mentioned you, you joined in the, the workshops that were put on and uh, practice sessions. Yeah, some of the key challenges that I could reflect now was to know what not to say in those three minutes. Because as a PhD scholar, we have a lot going up with our research. So it's very important to understand what not to say and what to communicate. So when I initially prepared my presentation for three minutes, although it was one slide, but the content was for about 10 minutes, which was really challenging to cut down (laughs) to three minutes because every bits and pieces of it, I, I was thinking, oh, this is very relevant and people should know about it. But again, going through all the workshops that SGPS conducted for three-minute thesis, I got to know how to structure that presentation within three minutes and also what not to say, how to stay focused, be in time, how to refine content, how to not just as in go ahead and as a robotic person and tell your research, but more about how you narrate a story about the research, how you engage with the people. And right. give them something to take away with them once you're done with three-minute thesis. And, and I think that's important because, of course, the three-minute thesis isn't necessarily to people in your field of study. So you've got to pitch it to a different audience altogether. So it's important, as you said, to pick the right messages to get the main points of your work. I mean, you can't do it all. So yeah. which sort of area do you want to pinpoint and highlight that in the hope that later they will come up to you and say, well, can you tell me a bit more? And that's when, of course, you can elaborate and, and go in, into further information for them. So I'm glad that was a great learning experience. If you could put it in a couple of bullet points, what were your key takeaways from the whole process? So uh, I have a couple of them. So one was uh, don't wait for the last moment. Start preparing your research because, you know, <laughs> Queens has it. You are in the university, you are well aware of it. Just start preparing right from the beginning. The other thing that I find really helpful is uh, always follow the checklist. As in, within three-minute thesis, they have guidelines how they are going to assess you, right? Right. Just read those guidelines, what they are looking for, and then prepare your content. Because when we start preparing content, we end up having a lot of stuff, and then it's really difficult to chop up stuff from that. Mm -hmm. So to uh, as in cut down the content it's really important to go through the guidelines for the assessment and see how you fit these contents within these guidelines and since it is for a general audience the audience not not who is from your field or people who are not expert in your own research area so it's better to practice with let's say your family or friends so i did that with a couple of my friends who had no idea about architecture or my research And it was so helpful because whenever they faced any challenge in understanding something, they would stop me right then and there. And you'll ask me, okay, tell me about this a bit more. What do you mean exactly? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) that helped me in refining my content in a more plain language that can help people understand what I'm conveying. Well, I'm, I must admit a lot of of the students who have done it, their families suddenly realized, as you said, exactly what they've been studying all these years and uh, yeah. you know you've actually got a i believe um, a research topic that is probably easier for people to understand but of course other researchers 
have things that are very complicated. (laughs) So this process helps them figure out, well, how can I tell everyone else what I'm doing without boring them, so to speak? And it's not boring for them, but... (laughs) Yeah, see, because if I am communicating the same thing to, let's say, people from my field, as in architects, I won't be doing that in that way. And I will be talking all those technical terms that they can easily understand and they are like, yeah, this is something that we are looking for. But again, to refine the content, it's as in really important. And another thing is be mindful of the time because (laughs) time is key. You know, you have three minutes, take a step back, reflect. And also it it is a learning process. Even if you do mistakes, just embrace that because it is a learning process. Enjoy the process. Take a time back even let's say while speaking you miss out on point you can take a deep breath and de- recollect your thought and start saying it because it's not the end of journey right true well i th- i think tell me if, if you agree on this i mean apart from the workshops of how to put your uh, presentation together we held practice sessions with your peers to be able to listen to how far you or how far along you've got in your presentation but to give you feedback What did you think of those particular sessions? I believe they are uh, helpful uh, uh, because, see, the presentation is going to be in person, right? And all these sessions that uh, we had for practicing three-minute thesis was in person. So we knew how the audience would be sitting, how we are going to stand, how we are going to, as in, present what what will be the posture of our body, what is our body language how we are communicating, how much space we are taking. So it was almost like a real experience of presenting three-minute thesis, right? Mm-hmm. So that helped a lot in uh, taking out all the nervousness in me because initially when you present through Zoom, it's like talking through a window, right? It's right. very easy compared to how you present in live. So those practices as in live in-person practices was really helpful in taking out all these nervousness and I was way more confident after this pres- as in Well, that's great. And so now what we're going to do, Navjeet, is go back to actually finding out what your research is all about, because, I mean, that's, after all, one of the reasons you wanted to come on the show, too, is to explain your work. And as I mentioned earlier, your topic is community schools in India, design considerations to improve inclusion for children with physical disabilities. Now, before we actually get on to some of the questions we have for you, Can you just give us a bit of an overview of your research in three minutes or less? There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so uh, uh, see, about 6 million children in India do not attend school, right? And among them, children with disabilities are disproportionately represented. And uh, school's built environment is an important aspect that influences access to education Mm -hmm. because the way the built environment is designed, it can either restrict or enable the participation of children with disabilities in that setting. Right. And research highlight that lack of understanding about disability by designers who are designing these school spaces can lead them to creating a disabling school environment that can affect the participation of children with disabilities. As I mentioned earlier, it could either restrict or uh, enable the participation. So to explore it further in my PhD, I talked to Indian designers who are designing these community schools in the informal settlements of Mumbai to understand how they understand physical disability and disability-related design needs and how such understanding is translated when they design community schools in India and how we could then 
take out some consider- design considerations out of it how it could uh, improve the architectural practice and policy in india that can ensure that these schools that are being created later on or if we are planning to even the mod- modifying these spaces we are more uh, thoughtful about it and these spaces are created in a more conducive manner that enable a student to have optimal participation experiences within these school settings and they enjoy learning like any other students in the school setting right and that's why we love what you're doing because it's an opportunity hopefully for children to get the education they need um with, and without being disadvantaged because of a disability so uh, very well said there in that overview. So what made you shift from being um, from being an architect to wanting to do research in rehabilitation sciences? Oh, uh, not, many, not many architects go back to school in this sort of way to do research. <laughs> yeah, it was a tough decision, I guess. It was a tough decision in 2016 when I was working in a very well-reputed firm, architectural firm in Delhi. I was doing really well, earning really well, but one day I decided, okay, I won't be doing this job and I'll quit this job and I'll start working for the people in the informal settlements. Right. It was a tough decision for me and my family as well. And then when I started working in the informal settlements for people as a community architect, we were developing community spaces, we were involving people so that they could also uh, come up with their own ideas, how they want these spaces to be. Okay. And that involvement, while involving with them, I met a lot of people with disabilities. And as an architect, we are trained to design things based on the guidelines that are provided. We are thoughtful of the needs of the people. But again, we are not aware about how those needs can be translated into design. Right. So that motivated me to, as in, pursue my master's in disability studies and action from Tata Institute of Social Sciences, Mumbai. And uh, those two years at Tata Institute of Social Sciences changed me a lot as a person because uh, in India, uh, as per Rights for Persons with Disabilities Act, there are 21 different types of disabilities that are recognized by the government. So all these people will have their different needs, will have their different uh, abilities. So while uh, doing my master's, I learned a lot about that and from there on, my research was always around architecture and how I will use my strength as an architect to change these things which can enable people. And that's how I landed up at Queen's because I got this opportunity to apply for Queen's Elizabeth uh, Scholarship Program. Yes. And luckily, I got selected for that. And I'm so thankful to my supervisors. Now they are super supportive of me doing my research and going ahead and creating something that could be meaningful for these children. So I'm glad you sort of said that, you know, you're using your experience as an architect to help you with this, which is fantastic. But listening to what you did in Three Minute Thesis, what you're trying to do is to get architects to think about different design and think about the people using the particular building more rather than just looking at guidelines (laughs) looking at the actual people that are going to be housed within that uh, facility or around it. Are you hoping then when you've finished all your studies that you will want to go more into policy change or go back to being an architect uh, still within, say, uh, community groups, you know, the smaller communities 
around Mumbai or, or, or what? what? What are your plans for that? Because there's one thing doing the research. Yeah. But what are you going to do after that? You, uh... So uh, my aim is to, as in work majorly on the policy label or practice label, bringing policy label or practice label changes. Because if we could bring it, see, as an architect, we are more privileged compared to other as in professionals, because we as an architect have power to decide how people will respond in a particular setting. Mm -hmm. For instance, it could be the entire city that we design, entire urban space in terms of urban design, urban planning, and even a small component of a building like a washroom. Right. right. So I believe with this power or privilege comes a lot of responsibility. And we need to be uh, very mindful of the social aspect of design, which is completely seems missing so far from the design uh, designer's perspective. We do design, we do some sort of consultation with public, but it's not at a larger scale, which should be ideally the first thing that pe people for whom you are designing, they should be involved right from the beginning. You need to know and understand how these spaces should be, how they should interact in these spaces, right? Mm -hmm. So my aim is to go back and uh, work on these aspects. I will uh, definitely see, I even though I am in Canada, I keep as in uh, mentoring or helping people within those communities. Like there are other people who are working on the similar aspect. So right. I'm definitely in touch with them and helping them in whatever capacity I can. So even though I go and work, let's say at a policy level, I will never leave what I was doing because that is something that gives me more satisfaction. Right, you're passionate about it, aren't you? It's fantastic. And you can tell when you, because you've always got a smile on your face when you're talking about it. I know people can't see this on the radio, but, but you do. So that's great. So how important is it for a researcher from different disciplines to do cross-disciplinary research? Big question. It, it's a tough question, but I'll say it's a very important question in uh, considering the current scenario with all these changes going around in our society. And I truly believe it's very important. It's very important for the researchers from particular field to come out of their comfort zone and see how their expertise can also marry with different disciplines and create mm -hmm. something meaningful for the society. For right. instance, I'll tell my example only, let's say I have not seen many of my architecture, uh, architect friend who have, let's say, gone, uh, went into different disciplines. They have done, let's say, bachelor's in architecture, master's in architecture or planning, and they ended up doing uh, something as an architect or urban designer or urban planner. I'm not saying that that is not good. They are doing a wonderful job for the people. But again, if you move across discipline, you have expertise from both the discipline. And then you can pull out something from the other discipline and give away something to that discipline, which is very meaningful. For instance, let's say I move to Queens in School of Rehab. With my expertise in architecture, I believe I would be con contributing something meaningful through this research. But again, I have learned a lot about rehab, how rehab is, right? Yes. And that will definitely translate it in my work if I once I graduate from Queens. So I believe but, it's very important. Well, well, it is important. And just even with your topic, looking at children having access to education, you know, some some disabilities aren't actually that visible. So you've got to think about that. And then, of course, you know, you're saying you're working in School of Rehabilitation Therapy there. You've got occupational therapists, physical therapists, 
all those sorts of people who work with people sometimes with disabilities so they can give you some um, ideas and things of what it's like actually helping a person with a disability access or, or use buildings in a different way so having yeah. them with you that's that's a, that's a great collaboration or, or fact finding for you to be able to sort of move forward so that's awesome so Let's go back again to a bit more to your work. Could you tell me a bit more about the condition of Indian schools? Because I mean, I would imagine there's a potentially difference from the schools that are in the metropolitan area as opposed to the um, urban areas and things. So, so, so tell me a little bit about that. I mean, are they nice looking schools or are they just put up and hopefully it's 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 enough for them? Yeah. So I'll. Uh, talk about in two aspects. One is the social aspect and one is the design aspect So because it relates to my research, right? So if you look at the social aspect of school, there are schools, definitely there are schools uh, in all these informal settlements for the children. They are built uh, as a mandated provision by the Ministry of Education, which is looking after all these schools. So they are there within the community settings. They are providing as in compulsory free education to the children until the age of 14, okay. once they complete their grade 10. So that is free. They are providing free meal to the children who come oh, to these good. schools because there are children who come from other vulnerable uh, background who might not have access to better nutritional meal. So they are providing that as well along with the school. So in that way, the schools are really good. But again, if you consider the architectural aspect of it, so uh, if I imagine, let's say, a school in Mumbai in any informal settlement, so it would be only the boxes, 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 boxes. Right. right. It is a big box, long classroom, all the desks and benches, wonderfully organized, super organized, where they are very structured, where children come, they sit in an organized manner. There is teacher who would stand in front, they will instruct the class so it's more on an instruction based of right. education that i could see there right but again uh, as an architect when i look at those spaces i believe these spaces transmits a lot of meaning to the people who are going to use the space it impacts your psychology a lot mm-hmm. it impacts how you will have a wonderful experience within the same space and how that space can also translate a bad participation experience within the same space right so in that way if i see there are lots that needs to be changed for instance see there are compared to the other context for instance if i compare to the west so here the maybe the number of children are less compared to what i could see in mumbai because right. there would be a huge amount huge number of children who would be coming to these schools so right. they need to have larger classrooms but again those classroom needs such uh, those interaction with the open spaces for instance the interaction with the nature right so if i as an architect imagine uh, those schools because i might have studied in a similar schools, although it was not a community school, but I have also studied in a similar school where it was almost like similar. We had long classrooms, structured setting, uh, windows on the sides, and teacher would come, he or she will teach and he will just walk away, right? We had not much of an interaction in terms of how these spaces transmit meaning to uh, me as a children. So when I imagine those spaces, I see how we could expand the opening sizes so that children can have a connect with the outdoor environment, how I could create a space 
alongside classroom where they can have a play space they can go out have some activities have hands on experiences how things could be more pictorial because usually children learn a lot through pictures than giving right. instructions right so if they could have those participation experiences within these small uh, activity settings by activity settings i mean the settings that host activity of a per- children for instance let's say playground where they go and play classrooms where they go and study corridor where they could have socialization they could chit chat with their friend right. so these spaces should be such that they enable children's participation right and right. usually right. when you think of access as an architect i also used to think that if you build a ramp if you modify a washroom and let's say provide a lift to just have a vertical vertical circulation where people can go move up and down the access to the entire building is done but it's not about just constructing these elements right? right it's about how thoughtful you are while building these because i have seen in majority of these schools when they construct ramp they have uh, such a horrible gradient of the ramp the ramp would be so steep that even a regular children who is not having any sort of disability even he cannot use it and right. then they start the children start playing with it they start sliding over the ramp which is a wonderful uh, as in a uh, narrative to see how children adapt to these environment right, right. so yes. why don't provide something which is really meaningful it's not just about the accessibility i always believed that accessibility is a precondition to inclusion it should not be an added facility to a building right. it should be thought right from the beginning and it's more about now the usability of the space how children can use it to how we could maximize the use of space how children can use in terms of they feel very comfortable they feel safe it is easy for them they have a say they draw some meaning out of that space well, well like you said it's it's got to be difficult in places like mumbai when there's a huge population there and so the schools have a lot of children and finding the space to house or give education to all those students cannot be easy like you said maybe it's easy to show further out from the major part of the city but internally that's got to be um very very difficult and also difficult for the the teachers uh, having to teach that many children in one go so do you do you ever talk to a faculty of education um about some of your thoughts or getting some thoughts from them at queens mm-hmm. unfortunately no i have not interacted but thank you so much for raising this question because this gives me something to think about when i as in go out today maybe connect with well yes them. because i mean they have ways of you know they're looking always looking at you know how to do curriculum uh you know whether it's it's that's very structured or whether it can be more open and in the using the environment more to learn and things or having more open classrooms so there can be group discussions uh, as opposed to being the lines of desks and and chairs kind of thing so it might be worthwhile just having a chat with them um and seeing you know the functionality of that and and is it easy to do or not depending so that's something to think about look at that one so what motivated you to study children with disabilities and their education because i know you've got a good story here yeah so again i'll definitely tell you that story it again takes me back to my primary school when i had a friend who was using a wheelchair uh, and our classroom was on first floor and we could experience the challenges he faced while accessing these spaces be it classroom washroom the corridors and many time he would not come to school because uh, he was not having a proper access to these spaces and even if he come 
he would not participate with any of us although mm-hmm. we tried to accommodate him in some of these activities where uh, he could be a part of it but i always wondered what we could do so that he could also participate and enjoy within these cool spaces and that was always there back in my mind when i went to do architect degree in architecture from school of planning and architecture bhopal india and uh, after even graduating when i started working as a community architect in these informal settlements of delhi i got to meet some of these children who were really bright they were super talented but again they did not had as in this opportunity to come and express themselves Mm-hmm. so all these narratives as in keep me motivating every day once i even if i'm here in canada some fine day if i'm lost with my thought and if i reflect back on those stories it again recharge me a lot and motivates me to do a lot of work in whatever capacity i could so that these children can have wonderful experiences that's fantastic yeah well you you're doing great work there before we go i do want to ask you one more question what impact do you think your research can have in india and globally because i know so, you're um, concentrating on india but i'm sure there's things that can come out of your work that can help globally yeah so the thing is firstly i'll answer about indian context so majorly in india i believe once i have the findings we can work definitely on seeing how we could modify or even uh, bring about changes in terms of architectural policy and practice right in terms of designing these school spaces how we could create some sort of program for the architects a refresher program where they can go ahead with that mm-hmm. they go through that program they learn about disability and they go and implement that and it's just not about the architect but it's also about the decision makers who are taking decisions for these schools so maybe creating again some sort of workshop for these principals of the schools the people right. who are taking the decisions the district head and someone because they need to be aware i believe it's more about the behavior modification how you do with your findings because if people can have better understanding they are more sensitive about these stuff then majority of your work is done so i believe these things will create a great impact looking at the indian context of education because uh, now we have new education policy which is very comprehensive but again if you look at all these government policy across low, low resource setting they are comprehensive on paper but when it comes to implementation there are lots of as in loopholes in terms of implementing it to its soul and heart right so, right so so do you think though because it's going it would be very hard to change the architecture of a school without a significant cost like schools mm-hmm. that are already there. Now, it's, it's, it's much easier to start from scratch in a new area and go, well, we're going to make this the UBO building for education, for us, for accessibility. But the, a lot of those buildings may not be that easy to switch up to make them more accessible and better, giving better experience for, for children. So is it your hope, too, that once these these policies or at least sort of your research gets put out there, mm-hmm. that the for instance the principals of each of the schools it would be them pushing the government to say we need these changes in our structures definitely definitely i believe see it it is always possible until and unless you give it a try you cannot say it's not possible mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i i have always been uh, a firm believer of that that you at least give it a try yes you may fail but again what if you win right or what if you succeed in that so in terms of that as an architect we are trained to do that 
and right. if as an architect i am saying here that it is not possible then it is failure of my training as an architect because we are trained to innovate come out of some come out with something innovative that could help people even with those small constraint and i will tell you a wonderful example see usually when we are designing houses for the people people with come with a small site and they tell us hell lot of requirement within those small site and if as an architect we are able to provide those functional spaces within that small site then why not create some accessibility features Excellent. and also uh, considering the cost of the construction we are always worried about how much it will cost and it will cost hell lot of money and all but again think about the local resources that it, that is available within that setting if we could use those resources if we can use the expertise of the people there it will cut down the cost almost to 50 or 60 percent that's great so that is there and again thinking i i missed out on the second question that you asked about the global global impact so i'll definitely try to test my findings in some of these low resource setting because uh it has come out of research that not many of these low resource setting or lower middle income countries are having access to the children with disabilities in their school setting so maybe my research findings can help them right start a discussion around it and maybe if i go ahead and test my findings there if you could again come up with something that can help them it would be a wonderful because that can create change globally well i know navji your work is going to be looked at very closely because it's such a great a great topic and we all love our children uh we want to give our children the best opportunities to have a a fulfilling life and what better yeah. place to start is in the education system So thank you for the work that you're doing. I'm sure people are going to really enjoy uh, reading it and and finding out a lot more. So thank you. And thank you for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the invite. And I really enjoyed it. Trust me. <laughs> It's such a nice experience. Well, you, you know, I, I love chatting with you, Navjeet, because you always put a smile on my face because you're always so passionate and upbeat and positive about everything. And I just love that. So thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> so that's it, everyone. A, another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget, you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify or Stitcher. Just type in Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big... Hooray! Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.